when Gordon started this uh, theme on, on Wonderstruck, the first Sunday he sat there, he said to us, he said, um, think a moment about when we experience wonder. And I drew a blank. I drew a blank. I said, I'm 66 plus years old, and I, and I drew a blank. When have I experienced wonder? He wanted us to write them on the board back there, and I couldn't do anything. I'm not very good at writing on boards like that anyways. So. But then he, during the week, I got an email from Gordon saying, would you mind preaching when I'm away? I thought, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I drew a blank. Well, then the second week on the Sunday, when sitting back there for part two of the series, I began to think, oh, there's something. Oh, there's something else. So I thought what I would do is share with you some ideas that popped into my head, some reflections on the theme of Wonderstruck, things that have come to mind to me as a way just to share some of that internal reflection process for me um, addressing the theme. And then also maybe it'll prompt some ideas and some thoughts and reflections that might be helpful for you. So he asked us to speak about things when we've experienced wonder. And one of the first time things that popped to my mind is that when, when I was 19, I moved back out to Edmonton where I was originally born and I was working there. And I took opportunities to go hiking in the mountains. Now sometimes I'd go with some people, but other times I'd just go on my own. And one time I can remember, I was hiking the Skyline Trail from Jasper and it's up, follows a ridge along a ridge between two different sets of mountain valleys on one side and the other. And it's just amazing. You're walking along this ridge and you look to the left and there's a valley laid out below you there. And you look to the right and there's another valley laid out below there. And, and other than the hikers on the trail, there's no one around. And then I headed off down the trail to another to this valley where the main trail went this way, I went this other way. And I said, I'm the only one in this valley. Wonderful, amazing, it's just incredible. And this, you know, you get up above the tree line and you can see forever. And it was, I just, anyways, I was in awe at the vast and intricate beauty of God's creation at that time. Well, jump ahead a few years to 1989. Carolyn and I were, had been married for about three years, and we moved off to the Democratic Republic of Congo to work with Canadian Baptist Ministries as, as missionaries. We went, and we were in the humid tropical rainforest. So... You think it's hot and humid here. It's, it's really not. You know, we, we're talking like 80, 90% humidity, average temperature 35 to 38 degrees, and no electricity, no air conditioning. Fortunately, a very comfortably built house so that it never got that hot inside because it cooled down at night. But that's not the point. We drove there through the forest and stuff and into this area, and we were working with the church and farmers and, and, and community members. And it was, you know, God's creation was just amazing. All of the sounds of the birds and the wildlife and so on. But after eight months in the forest, we didn't really, you couldn't really see very far. Because even if you went to the airstrip, you could only see like, you know, 500 meters or 1,000 meters down the airstrip. That's, that's as far as you could see. There was really no horizon because of all the tall trees in the forest. And there weren't very many hills. So we flew... At Christmas time, a small plane picked us up, and we went to eastern Congo to spend Christmas with some other Canadian colleagues. And when you got up and above the forest in the plane, there's all these trees, and it looked like a head of broccoli, but big, big, vast. 
steam coming out of it, and some trees were in flowers. And it was just, again, the wonder of God's creation and the awe. And then when we landed, we were on a hill overlooking the, in some of the high mountains in the eastern part of the country, and the airstrip was on a slope. And we got out of the plane, and I just saw it again, laid out in front of me, the forest and the savanna and God's creation. Again, just wonder at that whole the beauty and the majesty, and yet all the people who live there as well. And many of them Christians, many of them um, working in the church, and so on and so forth. So you're just, again, another one of these settings. And then about a year and a half after that, um, we were in, we, we had, went, well, a couple of years. We came back after a short period of home assignment when our eldest son was born. And I can remember sitting on our back step every evening. You know, Nathan, he would have had his bath. And the sun in the tropics doesn't, we don't have long, there's no long sunsets in the tropics. The sun is, it's up at 6 o'clock. At 6.05, it's down. It's just, sunsets happen very quickly. And so we would sit on the step there, and we would watch the sun go down and the stars come out. And especially the evening star would always be right there. And then the stars would just fill the sky. Because again, there's no street lights polluting the sky, and so we could just see. And again, it's like that song, in the stars his handiwork I see, on the wind he speaks with majesty. And then I can't remember the rest right now. <laughs> but, but it's just that, this awe, this sense of God is there, and it's his world, and he made it, and he sustains it. But wonder not only begins with open eyes, it also begins with open ears. You know, sometimes in the morning I'm out rowing here. I, I, there's a rowing club in Charlottetown. Did you know that? And we would row out in the harbor. I like to row in the morning because it's quiet. But it's amazing what you can hear in the morning. You can hear the cows across the North River in a farm. You can hear a plane just starting its plane on the airport to taxi from out on the water there in the morning. Or you can hear just the cars starting up and some fans blowing things in the city. It's just amazing what you can hear. And then again, you think about what's behind that, this creation, this amazing world that we live in. But there are other sounds too, ones that transport me to other places and think, help me to think of, of peoples and places. So in the morning, in the mornings here, in the summertime, we have our windows open. We don't have the furnace on, of course, like most of you. Windows open and I hear the morning doves. And every time I hear the morning doves, it pops me back to where we lived in, in Congo because we would lie there in the morning with the windows open and we would hear the morning doves cooing in the air. And again, so it brings me back to these familiar self remind me of people and places and uh, prompt me to praise our awesome God for his goodness and his mercy and the way he sees us through all sorts of different situations and so on. So in part two of Gordon's sermon, he also mentioned that wonder embraces uncertainty. Um, this is childlike curiosity he talked about, humility, um, uncertainty, so on and so forth. Well, Carol and I have certainly lived through our share of uncertainty, especially during the time we lived in Congo, but we've also had uncertain times around here recently, what with things like Fiona and so on and so forth. Um, but as we prepared to go, our home church at the time, set us off with a special service, and people share different scripture passages that have proved helpful over time. 
occasionally go back and we see that and say, oh yeah, that's right. Those people were praying for us when we were going through these difficult times. However, even before this, um, when we were getting married, one of the wedding gifts we have, it, sat up on, it sits up on our shelf and has for, for um, 34, almost 35 years now, um, or 37. <laughs> we were married in 86, so I, I have to do the math quickly. Anyways, uh, this, this, this man, Bill Hebert, he made a, a, made a wood carving for us. And uh, it's been sitting on our shelf. And it's basically a carving of a hand like this with two people nestled in the palm of it. And on it is not Psalm 91, verse 1. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. And that carving is one of a couple, now as I said that, and as I look back on our time in Congo, you know, the uncertainty and the challenge, it's clear that his, that his hand has been at work. And by his grace, we were, for example, absent from Democratic Republic Congo for three different periods of time when there was turmoil or civil war in the country. So by God's grace, we in that isolated place were not there when things kind of fell apart. We were able to go back, not always. The last time we didn't be, weren't able to go back. But also by his grace, we were able to see our way through many other personal challenges. So Psalm 62 that, um, that Mabel read was one of those, there's, it's actually part of, I know it from a song first, you know, only in God is my soul at rest, in him comes my salvation. That was a song that we would sing quite often and reflect on and praise God during that period, reminding us of God's grace and his provision of the awesome God that we serve and how he, and so it su supplies our need. But that time is also a time when we learned much from those we lived and worked with. I think of Pastor Ndangako, who was a Congolese pastor. Um, he was the head of the development office in the church. Now, when we first arrived there and talked to him about community development, he thought about getting money so they could pay the salary for pastors in the church. They weren't really thinking of community development as improving food security, reducing hunger, improving nutrition, or reducing poverty. Um, but over time, as we went about our work, we began, he began to change, and he began to teach us and bring new perspectives to familiar passages to us that, in fact, has helped us and encouraged us. So in the midst of that uncertainty and the fluidity of his thinking, he learned and grew and changed the way he approached the God's word. But at the same time, he helped us to get over things, understand things too. So one time, we were at a, a seminar and we were talking about evaluation. And we had a lot of volunteers who worked with us in the community. And he was teaching them about evaluation. And it was interesting because uh, typically evaluation in that sense, you say, well, we need to evaluate this project. It became a thing of picking apart all the problems and looking for fault. Um, as opposed to being a positive, uh, helpful sort of a thing. And so he asked the seminar participants and he said, well, is evaluation in the Bible? He said, it is. Where? Well, they really couldn't say. Um, the word evaluation is not in the Bible. But Gordon's Gordon last week, um, when he was talking, made, caused me to think about it because he was talking about the wonder of creation and God saying, you know, looking back on the sixth day, it is good. And he says that a couple of different times in the creation story. 
And this is where Dungaka went, Pastor Dungaka went back to. He says, look, it's biblical because God steps back and looks and says, it is good. That's an evaluation. God is looking at his handiwork and assessing how he's done. And so we can do the same thing. It's biblical to do evaluation in the sense that it's good to step back and look at what we've done, how we're doing, and then learn from it. So then another time when we were training volunteers who were working with groups of village people, he asked during morning devotions, he said, well, tell me, is work good or bad? Is work good or bad? I mean, this is the context where people are shifting cultivators. So if you're the man, the husband, you go to the forest and you cut down trees this big with an ax. And they're not softwood. And then you leave them and you burn and then you cultivate. And so if you're a woman, you're bringing also a lot of work, carrying you know several 10, 20 kilos of wood on your back two or three kilometers from the forest back to the village so you can use for firewood. You're pounding rice with a mortar and pestle so you can get the hulls off it. There's no, you know, you don't buy it already milled from the grocery store. Um, life and work is far from easy in rural Congo. Um, and so when they say, you know, is work good? <laughs> People really think about it and they say, well, you know, sort of, and they say, well, in Genesis 3, it does talk about the work and how the ground would be cursed and work would be hard and unproductive. And that's what people's experience was in many cases. So then he comes back and says, well, is it good or not? And he pointed us to Genesis 2.15, where we read, the Lord God took man and the woman and put them in the Garden of Eden to work it, to take care of it. So back before the fall, back before the world became broken and bent, there was work. But it was productive, remunerative work. So his point was that work in and of itself was not bad or sinful. It's just that it became difficult as a consequence of sin. So this opened my eyes to something else. It helped me resolve some thinking and questions that I had too in the sense that we must not only work the land, but we must also take care of it. That was sort of the core part of that Genesis passage. So stewardship and earning a livelihood go hand in hand. And this has been since creation and since before the fall. That insight came from a challenging question posed by Pastor Dangako has guided me in my approach to working with communities in agriculture and community development for the past 25 years. But I don't want to end there. Um, I want to think about another important time of creative uncertainty in my life. And there's been other ones. And, you know, I could, as I did this process, and then as I was reviewing my notes from yesterday, I could, oh, there's this one I could talk about, and there's this. All sorts of things in terms of God's word where there seems to be confusion and conflicting ideas, you know, like, uh, well, predestination and, and, and free will, you know, where do they all fit together? Or, one song we were talking about, time, and, and God is, you know, is God in control kind of thing. And well, you know, you sort of, these, how do you resolve some of these creative uncertainties that are there? And I can talk about those ones later on, but I've picked one that I think is a really helpful one for me um, in my life as one of those first ones that, that really was an obstacle for me. Um, when I was a university student, 
in my early 20s. I'd grown up attending church with my parents, um, you know, and never really questioned that. And I, and I left home and I went back to Edmonton and found work there when I finished high school. And I started attending a church on my own. Well, that probably warmed my parents' heart because I chose to go on my own. Um, and, and I did. I actually I started reading the Bible, and I really liked what Jesus taught and the example that he set um, and how the early church lived. It made a lot of sense to me. When I read, you know, the Gospels, when I read the, the letters of Paul, you know, the, what they talked about, the way to live, the way to conduct ourselves, the way to talk to people, the way to act, they made sense to me. I mean, I struggled with the idea of seeing myself as a sinner because I thought I was a pretty good guy and I didn't really get into anything. Um, but so that's going on in the background here. And then at university, I came to Mount Allison University actually for a couple of years and I started attending an IVCF group there, InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. Really good music, singing, fellowship. But it was really interesting when people met you for the first time, they seemed to say, you know, hi, how are you? My name is this, that, and the other thing. And they'd say, uh, when, are you a Christian? That's interesting. So they didn't ask where I was from. They just, you know, what's your name? Um, are you a Christian? And I thought, this is really odd. You know, why is that the first thing you want to know? But anyways, but they talked about their experience as if, you know, day, hour, minute, second is the when they became a Christian. That was the language that they used. And that really, really confused me, that conversion discussion, because that was not my experience at all. Yet I wanted to live as a disciple of Christ. And I was trying to live as a disciple of Christ. And I was reading the Bible and learning and growing. and what. But this way they asked me just wondered because when I was asked this question, I couldn't give an answer with any certainty. I couldn't point to an hour, minute, second, or whatever. And, uh, but the pros, those questions also provoked a lot of seeking along with that discomfort. When I was traveling to a student missions conference on the bus one time, um, down in Urbana, Illinois, which is, some of you may have heard of that or not, but anyway, I had a long conversation with another person on the bus, and she listened carefully and pointed to me to Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, and I'll read it for you. It says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Oh, there's another page there. Just a second. There we go. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. So this helped me to resolve that sort of conflict in my mind, that uncertainty, because it wasn't about a feeling. I didn't have to feel saved. It was about what you believed to be true and assenting to that and confirming that. It wasn't about a precise moment in time like a lightning bolt from heaven, which Paul experienced on the road to Damascus when something was realized, but about the, what one believed to be true and what one declared to believe and like. So in other words, just because my journey didn't fit into a prescriptive mold, um, it wasn't any less valid. I had known and accepted the Bible as true for years. I had known and accepted its analysis of me and who I was and the fact that I was a broken, bent person like everybody else for years. I had wanted to follow Jesus for years. I simply needed to declare that and act on it. So I didn't have to have that 
uncertainty when somebody said, are you a Christian? Yes, I have. You know, well, when did you become a Christian? I say, can't tell you exactly when, but I am. I know where I am now. And that's really all that mattered. So that passage was instrumental in solving that uncertainty for me. So these are only a few sort of examples that come to mind um, during the past few weeks. No doubt I could use others and, you know, Further reflection would produce more examples of being wonderstruck, of the awe and the way that God works in and through our lives. Um, God has been at work through periods of creative uncertainty. Examples of wonder and awe exist in my life, and I'm sure they exist in yours as well. Um, I'm sure you could recount many different ones as well. Um, so... In conclusion, as I've been reflecting on that theme of wonder and awe, of curiosity, creative uncertainty, creative uncertainty, I've been reminded of a variety of lessons and experiences over the past 40 plus years. But that's in the past. What about today, tomorrow? It's good to take time to wonder. It's good to reflect, to look at what God is doing in the world, what touching us and others around us. It's good to embrace that uncertainty because it prompts us to reflect, to learn, to grow. It's good to cultivate that curiosity and to want to be the people that God wants us to be. Um, it's good to ask the question, what does our God, our Savior, our Lord have in store for us this summer, this year? And, like, and just give him thanks for his goodness and his mercy and the way that he can work in and through each of us individually and collectively as we seek to glorify him in our church and in our lives here in Stratford, in PEI, and around the world. So um, let's pray. Lord, I thank you for just the privilege of being one of your children, part of this, part, part of the body of Christ here in this corner of the world. I thank you for how you have guided us as a church, as individuals, brought us here. And Lord, as we look to the week ahead, we pray for those who are struggling with many difficulties. We pray that you would guide us in what we say and do, that we might honor and glorify you. We pray for those places where we are struggling with difficulty, uncertainty, unknowns. Help us to find our way. Help us to guide those who might need assistance from us. And we just pray that your name would be glorified. In Jesus' name.